Conversations with the inspiring minds. Using design and creativity towards social change. This is Design for the People with Greg Bunbury. Hello and welcome to Design for the People. I'm your host, Greg Bunbury, and on this show, I'll be speaking to the designers, artists, creative thinkers and activists using their skills to tackle social issues, uplift communities and make a difference in the world. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps grow our audience and amplifies our guests. Joining me on today's show is a very special guest. It is my great pleasure to introduce artist, photographer, performer, consultant and self-proclaimed artivist, Janet E. Dandridge. Over a fascinating career residing between Los Angeles, Washington DC and Paris, France, Janet has combined art, photography, theatre and performance to encourage awareness and discourse around ideologies that perpetuate injustice. A true polymath, her interdisciplinary approach allows her to shift between mediums, always challenging audiences to analyse the societal constructs that often define us. Janet is also a creative consultant for several human rights organizations. And with her fluidity workshops, she guides individuals and organizations in developing projects to produce social and political change. Her work has been featured in campaigns to combat racism and misogyny throughout the US, and she has facilitated and performed at many events in Paris, where she was named Artist Laureate by Institut Francais in 2017 and 18. Last year, Janet was awarded a research grant funded by the Andy Warhol Foundation to explore perpetual traumatic stress disorder in American black women. In addition to this, Janet holds a Master of Fine Arts from Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles and a Bachelor of Science from St. John's University in New York City. Her work represents the intersectionality of empathy, resistance and connection, examination of trauma and resilience, normalized racism, otherness and the power of black women. Janet, welcome to the show. Hello, Greg. Thank you for having me. You make me sound so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the edited version of the intro. Like, that went on for like another 10 minutes in the first round. <laughs> Man, yes, 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 yes. It is a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, first, let's start off with uh, how are you today? I am doing well, just battling a little bit of uh, under the weatherness, but I am good moving forward, you know, keeping it going. Oh, again, uh, thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate that you're battling through to spend this time with me. Um, so to jump right in, I thought that before we started exploring a little of your background, I thought we could begin with a question. So could you Ooh. tell us what is... What is an artivist? An artivist is an artist and an activist. It's a very uh, simplistic portmanteau, which means that you are an artist who uses your work for activism. That's how I define it. And that's how some of my friends who call themselves artivists define, define it as well. How did you come to your, uh, your status as an artivist? Was it an organic process or did it come to you in a eureka moment oh my gosh it, it was totally organic <laughs> oh i have a friend uh whom is an artist as well who is an artivist actually as well her name is lily floor from los angeles california 
And I moved to LA from Washington, D.C. in like 2000, oh boy, 2004, I think. And so when I was out there, you know, I was just getting into exploring um, more of my creativity outside of film and television because that is part of my background, film and television right. production. And so when I met Lily, we were both working at a community organization in Watts, California. And so, you know, talking to her and just showing her my work and then starting to get into gallery shows, just little ones here and there. She told me one day, she was like, you know, you're an archivist. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. What, what, what is that? <laughs> and she explained to me, you know, what an artist is. Right. And so from there, you know, I decided, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But it really didn't hit me until like 2016. I was like, mm. yeah, I actually am an artist. Like, I see what Lily was saying. You know, mm. I wasn't even thinking about what I was doing. I was just doing it organically. It was very natural to me, especially coming from Washington, D.C. and growing up in my household, growing up in the capital of the United States you know, going downtown for protests, um, volunteering, you know, at different nonprofits and just understanding how art has a deep impact in our psyche and how it can affect change. And so in 2016, when I went back or graduated from grad school at that moment, I was just like, yeah, I'm definitely an artist. <laughs> Amazing. And was it something that uh, your involvement with the community and your connection with the community in that way was that something that came from the community did that come from how you were raised was it something that kind of developed as you went along i guess it's a combination of all of what you're saying because for example my mom was a part of the anc which is the neighborhood commissions in washington dc Okay. Uh, D.C. is made up of quadrants, northwest, right. northeast, southwest, southeast. And then you have wards within that quadrant, those quadrants. And so she was part of the ANC for our ward. And so I saw what she was doing with clean block initiatives, a, a lot of clean block initiatives, going to meetings, um, participating in different functions within the community. And that inspired me. You know, she's my mom. I'm with her mm. all the time. And then uh, not only was it because, you know, she's my mom and I'm experiencing these things with her and I'm doing this stuff, it led to me doing, you know, different activities. And that's what led to me working with the Children's Defense Fund when I was a teenager, which led me to working with the Afro-American newspaper when I was a teenager, uh, which led me to going to uh, different functions within the community, not only mm. within activism, but, you know, within music and theater, um, just the arts in general. Uh, one of the main sources of community, now that I'm, you know, talking it through, was at the uh, Children's Art Museum in Northeast Washington, D.C. Okay. Unfortunately, it's not there anymore, but it was such an amazing place where you could just explore and enjoy and imagine. And I think that was one of the major influences on me as an artist. I was already an artist. I mean, I did, excuse me, I did a performance in Prom 2 when I was like three or 
five years old at my sister's graduation, one of my sister's graduations, because the band was playing and I just felt like dancing. And so I started doing a whole performance. Then I got a standing ovation. I was like, this is my sister's <laughs> ceremony, but I got a standing ovation from what I was told. So, you know, it, all of these things definitely made an impact in my life on, on top of going to private school and not being from a family that had the private school money. I was one of those mm. gifted and talented kids that was, you know, given the opportunity to go to private school and get a scholarship. And so just seeing the differences when I'm going to the school in that area and then coming back home and just understanding or starting to understand, wow, something's not right here. <laughs> something's mm. just this is this is this isn't cool. So I mean, it's so many different, so many different things. And then on top of that, the, my spirit is is just you know the universe made me who I. Am. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, in coming through education and uh, setting up your practice the way you have, you followed uh, an unconventional pathway, to say the least. Where does? <laughs> Where do you get the courage and the drive, especially at an early age, to kind of go, right? Because, you know, uh, when I speak to a lot of students uh, and younger creatives, it's very hard to be what you can't see, especially if the thing you're aspiring to be doesn't really exist. There isn't really a <laughs> yeah. lane for it. So, like, where did you find the drive and the courage to just kind of put yourself out there and just, you know, what, did you have a plan or were you just organically figuring out as you went along? Oh my gosh, Greg. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. First of all, I remember one of my friends in LA, my, one of my, he, he's really amazing. I call him Wicca James because he remembers everything and he's like really <laughs> phenomenal and, and super smart. Um, James said to me, why are you doing this? <laughs> why are you taking this hard road? Like what? why are you doing this to yourself? You know, like, this is, this is not how it goes. And I was like, it's a good question. But then I said, well, I don't know what else to do. This is mm. what drives me. You know, if I'm not answering my calling within this lifetime, I'm not sure that I'm doing what I need to do to help myself, my family and others. Mm. So yes, this might be a difficult path, path but you know they're always vanguards and those vanguards are always the people who you don't hear about oftentimes mm -hmm. yep. yep but they're the ones who set it up so somebody somewhere started what what i'm doing started calling themselves an artivist back in the day who we we don't even know we, mm -hmm. we probably can't even trace and at this point i'm using that label to do what i do it was not something that I planned per se. You know, look, this is the deal. I thought about becoming, first of all, a VJ, a video jockey, because that's a path you can see, right? Yeah. yeah like you, sure. you watch MTV, BET, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. video jockey. Um, I thought about becoming a physician assistant because I enjoyed medicine. I thought mm -hmm. it was interesting. Path you can see. And then... When I started thinking about photography, because I've been creating photographs since I was like nine years old, I started to hear more and more of, you know, these different arenas of photojournalism, documentary photography, uh, studio photography. 
And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that, I see that trajectory too. Mm. But none of them satisfied me in the way that I became satisfied when I discovered my own path. So in that, it was organic. Uh, you know, it was something that I had to discover along the way. And I had to understand that even though people tell you that you should have these ideas formulated <laughs> by a certain time, like when you're going into college or something, when you're going into <laughs> undergrad, even though, I, and I had that in my head and I was just trying to figure it out. I had to tell myself repeatedly that it was okay that I was exploring in this way because I knew mm. that I was doing something that I enjoyed. I knew that I was figuring things out. I knew that I didn't have to do something by 23, you know, mm. all of this youth culture and, you know, Hey, you have to, you know, you're only important when you're young. Once you get older, especially as a woman, once you're over 25, you know, you don't exist anymore. Um, and I knew that at a young age, because I had older parents and older siblings, I knew that I, I knew I had an understanding of that whole idea of this commodifying youth. And so mm. I took all that and I was just like, you know what? I don't necessarily have to be there by 25, you know, like, because I, I, I don't even know if I know by 25. You know what I mean? I have no idea. But I knew I was taking in all of the information that I needed to get to where I wanted gotcha. to go. I yeah. understood that. So just to backtrack a little bit, when I was at St. John's, I studied film and television and I became an editor because I did enjoy that. And so when I came out of school, I knew that as an editor, I didn't need to wear a suit. I was like, one of the things I was like, I don't want to wear a suit. <laughs> I don't want to wear a dress or a skirt to work every day in a blouse. I'm, it's annoying. Heels. I, I, I just no, it's not for me. I need to be relaxed. And so I did that for a while. And when I was at this company in DC in Georgetown, I, I don't even know how it happened exactly, but I met someone who was working on The Amazing Race in LA. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know what? I wanna go to LA because in DC, even though DC is a very eclectic, eccentric place, you don't see that. People don't see that. You only see the politics. You only see the Capitol and the White mm. House. People don't know DC is super creative, you know, just the, the people because, you know, people live here. <laughs> so um, when I met that person, I was like, you know what, I want to do more creative. And so he actually helped me get to L.A. and get a job with The Amazing Race. And that's really what turned things into the direction that they have gone into because of that opportunity from, his name is Scott Sandman, um, who provided me with the, the work so that I could go mm. to LA and explore my creativity and not just, you know, be editing talking heads for Lockheed Martin, you know, it was like, blah, 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 blah. It, was, it was pretty annoying. So it's, it was, it was, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't really, I really didn't know. I was just going along with it. And luckily I had a family that was very supportive. I was saving mm. money since I was like 12. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had the funds. Um, oh, and I forgot. I worked at the ATF for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. That almost like really huh. killed me. Cause I, that was the whole suit thing. And I was just like, Oh my God, but it helped me save money. And, and there, mm. that's when, um, 
you know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, this is totally not for me. This government work is no, I, I, this is not my lane. This is not where I'll thrive. This is not where I'll be, where I'll be able to help people. So, you yeah. know, it was just like, my whole background is like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a mishmash, mosh mish <laughs> of different <laughs> things that have helped me understand who I am and get to where I am with the support of my family and friends, because without gotcha. that support, I'm not sure you know, how I would have, how would have gone. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you say that it's a mishmash, but there's a couple of really key takeaways there, which I think are very uh, impactful to people. Um, the first one is that a lot of performance psychologists will talk about high performers uh, are typically people who sampled a lot in their early years. And by sampled, I mean, huh. uh, tried lots of different things. They use it in sports psychology a lot and they use it in other forms of um, performance psychology. But the, the thinking goes that is if you're allowed to sample lots of different areas at a young age, as opposed to like somebody saying, right, you know, you're going to, I don't know, play tennis at four and that's all you're going to do. If you're allowed to try different things and sample, it's usually conducive to a, uh, I don't want to say a successful mindset, but it usually is conducive to somebody who's a high performer. So I think that's mm. a really key takeaway is to be able to oh, sample nice. different areas without overcommitting early in your career, because it can be hard, especially if you've been training as say an illustrator and you've done it for five years. So mm. you don't want to pivot yeah. because you've done, you've, you know, you've got sunk cost. So now you're like, I'm a, I, I have to make it work as an illustrator, as opposed to being able to pivot and sample. And the second takeaway and I think this is really important, especially when people are trying to pivot their careers into different areas, is to be able to have runway. You talk about saving money and that gives you space to try stuff out because the minute you have to do something, when you have to pay rent, you have a lot less choices, yeah. you know, Ooh, you have to, you know, you, <laughs> yes. you know, you gotta, you got, you're looking for change down the back of the couch. You have less choices. <laughs> You know, but if you save and you have that, that space and that runway, it gives you the opportunity to figure things out and try different fits. Right. Yeah. You know what I want to, and you're right. And I want to add something to that. If I had known a lot of what I know now about saving and investing, then investing the money properly so that it can actually grow for you, which I didn't know, uh, because frankly, that's not how I was raised to understand economics in that way. But I did have an understanding of economics because I went to private school and those mm. people's parents, I just paid attention to when I was going over their houses and, and if I was spending the night or something and if I heard stuff or, and then, you know, if they wanted to talk to me or, or listening to the kids talk about money and I was like, huh, okay, that's, oh, okay. Well, I, I guess that's how you do it. Because I had been working since I was like, I don't know, 13, something like that, um, via the Summer Youth Employment Program in D.C. And so I would just save up my money. But if I had known that I could invest in different, uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the word right now, but basically creating a portfolio, portfolio mm. uh, where I can invest my money so that it can grow, you know, I'm like, wow, the what I could have done if I had known right. that. And so that's something I definitely want to put out there to the youth is to understand economics. Even if you're saving, saving is one part. Mm. Invest so you can get a return. 
And don't just invest in it, pull it out real quick and find out what you enjoy investing in. You know what I mean? So that you can have mm. the money, like you said, they're having that runway. That's Very it. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other things that I find fascinating about your work is that, as you said earlier, a lot of it seems to come from your spirit. And I think that's really important in trying to find like a good fit for where you want to be at. Um, cause, uh, going through your work, there's this genuine sense of connection. It's like you create discourse, but it's never confrontational. And it feels like there's a genuine curiosity there and people open up to you. Uh, as an example, in your multimedia installation, uh, called Collective Finds of Inanimacy, which took place in, uh, Chazé, France. I'm, I'm butchering the pronunciation. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it's everybody. Sergi. 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 And I'm not even saying it right. Sergi. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell me I'm wrong too. They were like, no, Sergi. Sergi. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> but even in that. C-E-R-G-Y. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I can't like, I, I'm just, I'm just terrible with the, the pronunciation. I just, you know, I'll give it a go, but I feel bad when I'm in France. I feel bad for everyone else. I just, I'm just apologizing all the time. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> but there you went from photography of static subjects to actually engaging with the black residents of Serge. Um, and like, that's really fascinating for me because it's not just the thing you want to do. Like, you know, we talk about photography and, you know, your work has been considered in a tradition of legendary photographers like Gordon Parks, but it's also like, it's also having that, being able to have that connection and have people engage with you on that level. Um, one of the, one of your quotes, um, was that you say, I discovered how much I had in common with them. They were also managing similar struggles as classes of classism, racism, exoticism, and otherness. And just having that level of candidacy with your work, uh, I think it really speaks to your spirit and the kind of person you are. I mean, was that, how did, how did you find that? Does that just, did that just come from the work? Well, again, again, just talking about community. And, you know, being able to talk with people, you know, like I, I think I think I mentioned this, you know, in, in a private conversation about how big my family is. It's nine of us in total. That includes my mother and father. And then I have um, then it's seven of us. Uh, but then actually it's nine kids, but seven from my mom and my dad. So understanding how to communicate, you know, mm. um, and and working with different temperaments. And building relationships. So in LA, crazy enough, like like I said, the universe, you know, as they say, when you're doing the work you're supposed to do, the universe will conspire to help you. Mm. And so when I received the first uh, fellowship uh, in Paris, that, I think it was two months before I left, I met a guy from Paris. First guy I ever met from Paris in LA. First guy. <laughs> and I was just like, well, isn't this special, huh. right? I was at a party um, that I wasn't thinking about going to, but one of my homeboys was like, oh, yo, let's go to this party. And I was like, all right, cool, fine, all right, whatever. And when I get there, I meet this Parisian. And I tell him, you know, I'm going to Paris and, you know, I just got this and I don't know French at all and blah, 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 blah. So we exchange numbers. And so I start communicating with him. Uh, just about Paris and learning things and some words and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I get there to Paris, I have this, this mission, right? Collective finds of inanimacy. And I'm thinking, all right, so I'm going to go in and I'm going to, you know, just walk amongst the people and I'm going to create these photos of inanimate objects uh, that explain the urban planning and, and how this impacts the way people maneuver. Mm. And so I was doing that, but it just, I was like, but I need to, I need to talk to people. You know, I want to talk, but it's hard because I don't know French. <laughs> so one of the things that I, that I had, uh, that I asked for, for this fellowship was to take classes to learn French. So when I was there, I started going to classes at a school. Mm. Um, and so there, you know, I started, you know, kind of communicating, but then it, it's still, you know, stuff, it, it's like, I, I couldn't really explore like I wanted to, like, mm. because those folks who were taking those classes weren't from France either. They weren't from the area either. So then I called the guy in, in LA who's Parisian and mm. I asked him, do you know anybody from Sergi, uh, like at all? And, and he was like, it's so funny you say that because, you know, people like Sergi, why is she in Sergi? So, <laughs> but I think I know somebody from Sergi. <laughs> and so he, you know, called around and found some folks and then when I started talking to them, because one of them knew English, like decent enough English for us to communicate in both English and French. The mm. other one, oh my God, she, she, she didn't know, she didn't know English. And so it was very difficult. It was a lot of tra- Google Translate and all that. Uh-huh. Um, and then we talked, and then I talked to their friends, but these two main folks, great young folks uh, who I started to communicate with, I started to go places with them. Then I started learning more and Mm. understanding like, oh, this is this is the element that I was missing when we're talking about this collective finds of inanimacy. Mm. We were talking about D.C. We were talking about our schooling. And even though they're like, I think maybe 15, 15 years younger than me or something like that, just having the same connections. I remember. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Boss June, one of them, who who now is a manager of hip hop artists. Okay, he was telling me how in school he remembers first. First of all, he's first generation Senegalese French, mm-hmm. and so in school he remembers one of his teachers telling him, "Well, why are you studying that? Because all you're going to be is a janitor." And I was mm. like, "Wow." Yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar. The yeah. discouragement because mm-hmm. of how you look. Mm-hmm. Um and so we started to just have lots of conversations about that, you know, just about living while black, you know? Mm. And understanding how that experience is similar across the diaspora mm. because of how we all landed in these places. That's right. And so, you know, the the conversations just really just it gave me so much more. And mm. I wanted to learn more, you know, about them, about their friends, about their families. I wanted to go back and explore more because of that. Because of those connections via community. Wow. That's so amazing. Um and when you're on these journeys, like how does your practice work in terms of 
how you develop projects and how you choose projects because you're working across mediums you're working in different spaces um how do you give yourself time and space so when you start a project which goes from static objects to like basically connecting with an entire community how does that how does that work for you do you kind of like do you schedule a, a certain amount of time or headspace to each project or do you just go with the flow well um it's, it's kind of kind of you know well i am funny enough i am a very type a personality with all of the creativity as well so that means i'm crazy <laughs> um so I plan things out. You know, I think about it. Um, it's it's basically I, I'm a project management professional. That's what I am. Mm. With, without the actual certificate, I'm a project management professional, and I believe that all artists are. This is something that we're not taught in school, but this is exactly what we do. We go from stage one of the idea to researching mm -hmm. to putting yeah. together the team to putting together the materials to the production to close to implementation to closing out. And so often, uh, oftentimes it's like that. I have an mm. idea and then I start to explore it. So I start researching, uh, which I can always uh, do more of, uh, but I start researching it and thinking about it more than that. You know, I, I, I take lots of walks. I used to call yeah. myself the wanderer photographer, but I take lots of walks because uh, as one of my friends said recently, that is a meditation. Yes. And it's good for the heart. And it's it's good for the mind. And you start to think about things um, in various ways because you're walking mm -hmm. um, and wondering. And then from there, once I start to see, okay, this is how I can do it. Then I start to explore with the creative side of it. I start to, sure. let's say, if it's a photography project, you know, since we we're talking about CFOI, uh, Collective Finds of Anonymity. I start to take like uh, I start to 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 do like sort of mock-ups, um, mm. you know, creating photos of things to see if this is what I'm thinking about, you know. And so when I see the visual in front of me, I can then understand. Okay, is this the direction I'm going in? And then I start to research more. So mm. it's it then goes into all right. Let me let me uh, either these are one or two ways. I'm going to fund this myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I'm going to find someone to fund it for me. <laughs> and oftentimes it's me funding myself because even though I'm, I am applying for fellowships and grants and et cetera, et cetera, you don't always get it. And so you can't wait on people to give you what you need. You have to make it happen. That's how I feel. Right. Um, and that's how I'm built. So mm. I then just go ahead and I'm like, all right, about to do this. Um, and once I get my budget in order, understanding how much I'm going to spend um, and where I need to put the money, then I go into production mode. You know, like I start doing the actual production. Now, let's say if it is with folks whom I'm, let's say, uh, going to be photographing or if I'm going to have participants in a performance. Mm. Then I, I, before I go into, you know, production mode, I have to talk to different people. I have to find people. Mm. Um, and, and that's if, you know, I actually need folks who I want to photograph or if there's participants in performance, it's really like going to a concert. You don't know who's going to buy the ticket. You're just going to put mm. it out there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you hope for the best. 
Um, but you still follow through with the performance, even if, you know, you get one ticket bought because that one person is your audience and they deserve the mm. best show ever. So that is sort of the, in, that's, those are the kind of like the initial steps and, and how I decide which medium to use really is based on those initial steps when I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, is, is it better to do an installation or should I use photography or should I use my body through performance? Or should I ask someone to fabricate some metal for me because I don't know how to weld. I tried once and I'm not going to ever do it again because <laughs> it's not my area. Not my, you know, you, you got to know when to fold. You know, you got to know. I, you got to know. You, you covered enough know. areas. You don't need to add welding. Yeah, I'm like, that's not it. Too much. Let me it's go ahead and hire this person who knows what they're doing. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I, you know, so it's just, it, it, it goes like that, really. Mm. Now with your projects, do you have, how do you gauge the objective or is the process the objective in itself? Is there a result that you're striving hmm, for that you can kind of gauge whether how successful or how engaging something's been or is the process of doing it its own result? You know, that's a really good way of putting it, Greg, because it the, the, the process is, you know, it, it really is part of what you're doing. I, I think that all artists, your process is part of the work and you can especially see that in performances where you're you're literally doing the whole process in front of people so sometimes there are objectives like you know i want to i want to hit this mark or right. you know i want to you know get this point across but really, you don't know what's going to happen because everyone is going to interpret it in their own way. Mm. But really what you said, the, the, the process is part of the, is the objective. It's, it's because you're learning. You're, you're, you're building and, and adding on to your repertoire. And mm. through that, that's when you, the next project will have even, even more impact because you learn something in this this one particular project. I I'll give you an example. I I'm working on something about DC statehood because DC is not a state. Okay. Contrary to documents and things like that, DC is not a state. We're not treated huh. as uh, citizens like everybody else within the United States. And it's not only DC, it is Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, uh, huh. American Samoa. Um, wow. And I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting one more. I can't remember right now. But we are not a state. We are a territory, truth be told. Oh, and people okay. don't know that. So we don't get the same rights as everybody else in the states. Um, there's the license plate that says taxation without representation because in Congress, D.C. has what is called a shadow senator. And literally a shadow. She can't impact anything but she actually fights a lot and just you know adds her voice into the mix wow. so right now i'm working on that um and the objective is to have people aware not only within the states but globally that dc is not a state and that mm. these other places uh, oh the u.s virgin islands is the other place how could i forget US the u.s virgin islands, virgin islands. um to have people understand 
hey, look, we don't have the same rights as everybody in in the states. I mean, like I think in American Samoa, they had like a, they have a straw poll, like you know, like it's, and I, I believe so. You can check me on that. But my objective is to inform, educate, and to change what mm. that is, and so to help advance the activism movement, the campaign for DC statehood. DC citizens pay like one of the highest percentages of taxes in the United States. But we don't have the same representation at all. So that right there is a definite objective. I know what I want to do. Mm. And therefore, I'm creating this work to do that. And then we're talking about project management professional. Once I have my proofs, which I'm getting soon enough, then I'm going to have an exhibition of it. And I'm going to invite different uh, stakeholders uh, within D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and other places to come in and then have conversations about what it is, what it would mean for people to have statehood in DC, because not only would that help DC, that would help the other territories of the United States Mm. receive full representation within the government. So that's an example of having a clear objective and knowing this is what I'm going to do. Mm, uh, I really like that. And I think another great takeaway um, in terms of objectives and project management as well is for people to treat socially focused projects like actual projects. Yeah. And to, to clearly <laughs> define them. And, you know, because I think there's a tendency sometimes with social stuff to just kind of treat it in a, a kind of uh, not, in a, not in a throwaway manner but not with the same diligence as you would like, you know, doing a a client project for UBS or something like that. Yeah. It's like name. It's like brand. Like, like, like if you, like if you go to UDC, which is the university of the district of Columbia versus going to Yale university, people are like, Oh, I'm going to go with the Yale person. Well, how do you know that they even like, just because of Yale, just because of the name, like, you know, can we give this the same look to, to this person as well? You know, like UDC. Yeah. No, I hear that. Um, while we're speaking on, uh, the projects and some of the more experiential work that you've done, one thing that I'm interested to hear is, so when you get to the execution part of a project, because there's so much of you in the project, like what happens when, is there ever a moment where you're concerned that it's not working or it's not going the way you want it? So for like, like I'll give an example in your installation compliment sandwich, uh, where you draw uh, large yellow circles on the sidewalk of a busy city. And the idea is that people would either receive or give a compliment to whomever is standing inside the circle and watching the video. It's amazing. First of all, there's so oh, much joy well, you. and happiness, <laughs> yes. but there's a lot of unexpectedness there <laughs> yes. because, you know, me, I'm kind of, how can I put this? I'm still, uh, like, I, I, I know, I don't know if self-conscious is the word, but there'll be a part of me like now, no one's standing in these circles. So, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm just out here drawing. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I, that, that would be in my head with that, but just watching you do it, like you don't, you know, like falter for a second. So are you just uh, so invested in a process that you're just going to see it through no matter what? Are you having those thoughts or do you just, 
you just ride through him? I mean, okay, okay it's, it's a couple of different things. It's like mm. just thinking about how you create your designs. You know, once you get into the mode, it's like nobody gonna stop you in your mode. You about to, you just mm. you just doing your thing. It's like this is this is what it is. What you say? Okay, cool. And you just keep on going. <laughs> Um, and then you have to be comfortable with being a performer because it is a performance element within mm. going into public spaces and being in front of everybody. And I am a performer. It's, it's just what I've, I've, I've always been. It's what I've studied. Um, and I, and I understand the unexpected, you know, it's, it's, and I, and I enjoy it. Mm. I love it. And once I'm doing the work in the space, talking about compliment sandwich, no, I'm not thinking about if anybody's going to actually participate or not. I'm thinking mm-hmm. that, ooh, I can't wait to see what people do. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. ooh, first I'm thinking, okay, let me finish this out. Yeah. And then I have to be the one uh, with that particular work to activate the space. Because, you know, like like you were saying, you're like, I don't, you know, I don't know if somebody's going to do it, but... It's, it's part of that project building. So mm. I know that I'm going to create this installation and then I know that I have to activate it so that then people will see, oh, this is what this is about. And they start to participate. And then when I walk away, you know, hopefully someone who was there will participate again. And then if somebody sees somebody and they're like, well, what is this? They'll tell them. And then if it's the next day, if the chalk is still in the ground, you know, someone will see it and they'll be able to read the directions, like very mm. plain and simple directions. And I think that being a public on-site, site-specific performance artist, you have to understand that you have no control except for what you put down. <laughs> gotcha. That's it. Gotcha. So there's a point where it's just out of your hands and oh, it's yeah. with the guards. And you're just, you're just a vessel at that point. Yep. That's it. I mean, it's all, you're always a vessel. It's a good, that's a good way to put it, Greg. You're always Mm -hmm. a vessel. You're always Mm -hmm. the vessel. You're just doing what comes through you. Like I said, spirit, universe, I'm just doing what comes through me. And when I do not do that, that's when things go kind of like, you know, and I'm like, oh, 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 okay, my bad, my bad. Let me just go ahead and just get back on the path so that I can keep this trajectory going. And in those moments, do you, uh, do you have a process for kind of gauging how to get back on the path? Do you need to just kind of pause for a second and regroup or do you just, are you just always working, always in work mode? Oh, you got, you got to pause, man. You know, it's just like, Mm. you know, taking the breaks. Like we, we need those moments of rejuvenation and relaxation. So if now it's different, if you're in a performance, it's like, (laughs) you you can't stop, (laughs) you you know, you can't stop. You got to keep on going. And even if you show that, even if someone knows that something's gone astray, Mm. it doesn't matter. You just have to keep going. It's just like theater. You know, you have to continue the performance regardless of what's going on. Film and TV is slightly different. You could be like, cut, you know, and start Mm. over. Um, But you're still kind of getting out of the mode of the the moment, the feeling. So you, you have to keep on going. And so when I have the time where I could be like, okay, wait a minute, let me step back. I definitely take it. You know, it's just, it's, mm. and that happens a lot when it's like, let's say, let's say we're called, let's just say we're compliment sandwich. You know, if, if I, I don't know, if somebody abruptly like 
tried to yell at me for doing the work, then I would just, I would continue probably. I just ignore them. But if it did strike me, you know, what they said, then I would probably just, you know, sit for a minute, think about what they said, evaluate it, consider it. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's not something that's just absolutely insane, take a moment and then I will complete it. Then I would just finish, you know, or really, and and I have to say, it does depend on the situation. Sometimes you just got to walk away. It's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, this is not going to work right now. Let me come back to this another day. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily like leaving things unfinished, but sometimes it's just what it is. You know, mm. it's it's just like, you know, we as artists, we understand like you're working on a project, you know, you're on the computer for 20,000 hours and then you're like, you know what? <laughs> Burn out. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't want to get to that place. You know what I mean? No, so, no, you no, know, no. take your time and give yourself a schedule. That's that's what I what I've learned is to give myself a schedule um, in terms of, you know, if I'm sitting at the computer. But again, when it's outside and it's unpredictable then you got to give yourself a moment or you got to walk away or you take a walk <laughs> mm, <laughs> and come back around. Okay. So do you prioritize these moments of rejuvenation? I heard a great quote today of someone saying, take your rest as seriously as your work. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it something that, um, I mean, especially with your work being, it's, it's so, in, you're so involved in your work. Um, do you have to like really like block out some like time for yourself? I do. I do. It's necessary. Mm. Um, it's absolutely necessary. I, I don't I don't care what anybody says. You have to take care of your health. Because if your health is not your wealth, you will have mm. nothing else. Plain and simple. So even if you give yourself a day, <laughs> even if it's one day where you turn your phone off, turn the computer off, don't get on the social media, don't do anything like that. And you just lay there and you meditate. Great. For me, rejuvenation and relaxation is definitely important. And I need to do more of it. I need to do more of it. Because I am, like you said, that, you know, you educated me early on this high performance stuff. I was like, oh, okay, I'm a high performer. Is that good? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, you know, I understand that that's how I work. You know, like mm. even me feel, not feeling well right now. You see, I was like, I'm power through this because mm. because I can't. Now, if I was just completely done, you know, yeah. I'd be like, you know what, girl, I can't do, you know, I can't do this, bro. <laughs> but um, you have to take those, take that time for yourself. It's It's so important. That quote is so accurate because you need the time to think. You need the time to mm. rebuild. It's like. You know, it's like when you, when you, you eat food every day to give your body energy. And when all the energy is depleted, you need to eat some more food. So mm. when you are depleted of energy because you're working so hard, you gotta you can't keep on going. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. So yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely of utmost importance. And, and, I, and I need to give myself more of that time. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And I do think you give also- yourself that time, Greg? Do you give yourself that time? I do, but like it's so everybody does it differently. So it's almost like everybody's setting up systems in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about your work and structure, 
So everybody creates structure in their lives in a slightly different way, but we might label it differently. So for some of us, it might be like, you know, I go to a martial arts class and this martial arts class happens at the same time every week. And no matter what, I go to this martial arts class. So mm -hmm. I know like an hour before the martial arts class, I'm not going to be on the computer. I'm not going to be designing. I'm not going to be working. I'm going to be getting ready. And then you start structuring things around that. So it's like, you know, if I'm going to go running three times a week and I'm going to go running at 10 a.m. every morning, I know that I have to be up at a certain time and I have yeah. to be back at a certain time. And so we introduce structure in our lives in all kinds of creative ways. And I don't know if for me, it's like, like I have a dog, right? The dog has to go out like three times a day. And so that's yes. like a, that's like a 45 minute walk. And in that walk, I'm working. I'm not working like I'm working, you know, like at the computer working, but I'm processing and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. thinking and I'm writing in my head and I'm like trying to figure things out. And I come back because as you say, it's a form of meditation, but because yeah. you're in that automated mode and you're not consciously thinking about what you're doing, you give your brain the space to figure things out. You know what I mean? And then I exactly. come back and I'm like, okay, cool. I've got it. I know what I need to do for this or, you know, like whatever. So I think we all introduce structure in our lives in a different way. And what I like about your work and your story is that it's almost like your structured approach allows you to rest and it allows you to rejuvenate because you know, like, you know how long your project's <laughs> going to last, you know, what budget you have for it. And it's not like you're just kind of, you know, making stuff and, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. How long is this going to take? It might take <laughs> six months. It might take six hours. Like your structured approach means that you can work around that and you can give yourself self space around that. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's, yeah. That structure. It's, 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 it's important. I think it's, I think it's important. Structure is very important. <laughs> it's just like raising a kid. They have a time to go to bed. They have a time to eat. They have a time to go to school, you know, like read a book. Structure yep. is, is absolutely definitely important and and i've worked on it a, lo a lot to be able to put myself in the position of being an entrepreneur so that mm. i can actually have the structure that works for me mm. well that's really interesting the entrepreneur so it kind of loops back to a topic we touched on briefly earlier with regards to funding and budgets and money Lord. <laughs> In your approach to, to that side of it, were there particular resources or places you went for information that were more useful or did you, was it just a process of figuring it out as you went along? Well, I have to say that I wish there was more business classes incorporated into undergraduate and graduate studies within my schooling. Mm -hmm. um, because you really do need to understand how to manage yourself as an artist outside of gallery represent representation mm -hmm. or, you know, having patrons. I, and that, and that's, that's, that's the first thing I, um, hmm. you know, it's, it, I've learned from so many different sources. I mean, I've I've tried to look at different models to mm. create a model that works for what I do. And unfortunately, 
I have yet to find something that works the best way possible for how I do it. I have to take different models and apply them different times. Right. But I, 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 I'm getting there as far as mm. what my model is, which I, I have to say, I do have a, a slight model. But for mm. example, you know, in my research, I came upon this, this website called Art, Artist as Debtor. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is terrible. Just trying to understand how to manage funds and acquire funds consistently and allow the money to work for you. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of artists are in high debt because, especially fine artists, I would say, um, because it's not like a graphic designer. You know what I mean? Like you have these companies that are straightforward. We were talking about straightforward earlier, understanding what that is. And they want a graphic designer and they're like, yeah. But a visual artist, you know, a fine artist, you know, you go there and they're like, um, we we have this stock photography over here. Why do we need you? I don't understand. So it's 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 looking at different models. And I've I've looked at models for entertainment. Mm. I've looked at models for uh, uh, galleries themselves, actual uh, brick and mortar galleries. I've looked at models for photography studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've looked at models for dance, really, actually, like dance and theater. Yeah. Just to see how these budgets are put together and what people are looking for, the language to use so that when I'm proposing to whomever or whichever organization, they have an understanding um, via the language that they already Mm. get. Gotcha. So I have to utilize that language and then understand the monies that they provide for particular works but then i also have to convince them because my work is very different well this work is something that you're also interested in as well it's just not this straightforward as what you've been working with already so it's been you know a a lot of research and investigation on Mm. what those numbers are and then also i have to think about well what do i want to make in a year what do i want to see as my return from the investment of going to school, for example, from spending, you know, the monies that I did for grad school. Gotcha. Recently, I came upon within the last two years, these great uh, one website called Wage for Work, the Working Artists and the Greater Economy, W-A-G-E for work.com. Mm-hmm. And that organization made up of artists, they put together all of this great information on the spending budgets of different institutions, arts institutions. So Uh that when, let's say, a MoMA or a MOCA says, hey, I want you to come perform, you can Mm -hmm. look at their spending and say, okay, this is your budget, so this is what I should get from you because this Uh, is how much you're bringing in. Um, And that's been a great resource just as far as a baseline. And then most recently, Uh, Because I'm constantly looking for information to understand Mm -hmm. how to perfect my structure. I recently came upon an artist and a lawyer in California who 
revised and revitalized uh, the artist sale and transfer agreement. I believe that's what it's called, which okay. Seth Saglub in 1971 created with a lawyer. Seth Saglub is, I think that's how you say his name, is an artist. So he created this contract so that artists would receive residuals because fine artists, you know, we're the only ones that don't get residuals for our work, but it gets passed on and it gets shown and it's, 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 you know, it, it, the value appreciates, it appreciates. So once we sell it, you know, People don't understand that, hey, yeah, no, we need residuals because you're passing it on to another collector. And it's the same thing as film and television. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. they revitalized this particular FAIR contract. It's called FAIR contract. And so I started using that um, with my collections. And I actually used my first one this year with one of my patrons. And, you know, we went over it. She agreed to the terms. And so yeah. she has the documents. Um, and then I learned about the, uh, the blockchain for art, the, a ledger Mm -hmm. to keep that on file. So it's, it's all of these, this is the administrative, you know, the entrepreneur aspect of creating that you have to know your value and you have to understand the worlds within you, within that you work with the worlds that Mm. you work within Yeah. so that you can come correct when you step to them and say, hey, no, this is this is what I'm looking for. This 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 is A, B and C. Um, and this is what I deserve. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's it's a challenge. It's a super it's a super challenge because people when they think of art, people think of painters, you know, yes. people think of sculptors. Yes. Um, they don't think of ephemeral art. They don't think mm. of photography per se. People still say photography and art. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> um <laughs> They don't think of installation in the same way and the benefits of that. So, you know, it's it's an uphill battle. It really is an mm. uphill battle. Yeah. I think the key takeaway there, though, is that by doing the research and gathering several models, you're able to adapt your proposals and you're able to adapt your outreach. So if you need to lean harder on one model for a particular job or client or prospect, you have the space to do that, but you can only do that by getting those models and getting those templates. So I think yeah. that's, um, that's super useful. I'll, I'll add those resources to the show notes as well. So yes, everybody can yes, visit those please. sites. Oh, and um, one more thing, building yeah. your team, building your team. Mm. I, I recently, um, cause I have been looking for someone, basically a, an arts consultant for me. <laughs> and I found this wonderful woman, Claire Hushel of Scaffold uh, Consulting. She works with artists and she understands, you know, our budgets. So mm. she's been very helpful in helping me locate funding and writing the proposals. And that's oh, important. Yeah. Building the team. You know, you have yeah. to have your team. You know, you're, you're the people who uh, document your work, your assistants. And you want to pay. Mm. You have to pay everybody. You have to pay everybody. And that's, mm. you know, I, I'm all about paying everybody that works with me unless they're like hey Jan, you know what i'm gonna do this i'm like okay i'm gonna give you some food at least but <laughs> you know just building that team and that's been going on for a, a while and sometimes it takes time especially if you don't have you know again something that people readily understand mm. as a career yeah i think it's a such a vital point 
in that so many creatives, especially those of us who don't do uh, as experiential work or perhaps you're more of a traditional artist or illustrator or designer, we can get very myopic about our worlds and we it's almost like we're just kind of in a vacuum of ourselves and having those uh having those other people there and those other perspectives and that help and being able to rely on people and to be able to defer to people can really just change your whole career pathway um yeah can you speak to us about how has collaboration always been a part of your practice or again is that something Mm -hmm. that's developed over time Ooh, ooh, collaboration. I remember doing, <laughs> I feel like this might have been one of my first collaborations on something artistic. I was doing a dance in elementary school and it was six <laughs> of us for this talent show. And that was like one of my first collaborations. Um, and it was a song called Pretty in Pink or something. Oh my God. But, and I, and I Can brought you on my the dance. Oh Can my God. Really? It? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> oh my god and if I did you don't want to see that right now you don't want to see that <laughs> but I um, I brought on my, my young niece to be a part of the, the dance squad because I remember saying ooh you know what she would be so cute in the front she would make everybody you know be like ooh this is so great and she sure did so it just yeah. collaboration has been a part of my life. Like I said, coming from a big family, you it, it's coordination. Like you got to coordinate. Mm. You got to coordinate <laughs> all of these people. You know, I'm like, how did my mother and father do this? They're crazy. But collaboration is is I think a key in 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 just you know evolving. Um, mm. So it's always been a part of 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 my work my works but you know artists we're like we work in solitude oftentimes as well like I said wandering Mm -hmm. and walking like it's it's a lot of that it's a lot of being being alone with self but then you also have you know for me at least the time when you know you are like okay well this I, I, this, 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 this needs calls for a collaboration or something organic happens when you're talking to your artist friends on the phone and you're like, mm. Oh yeah, let's do this. You know? So it, it, it just depends, but I've, I've always, I've always been a collaborator. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it really comes through in your work. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, I guess the question I'm going to wrap up on is. Oh, it's over. well i mean i feel like we could go we could go for another three hours but but i I know you've got stuff to do and i don't want to take too much of your time as amazing as it is but i'd love to have you on again in the future Um, oh and i'm um, definitely y'all heard that i'm i'm open i'm ready to be back (laughs) i will hold you to that i promise you um so i mean i guess i want to i guess i want to talk about uh maybe two final questions. One is managing the kind of emotional and the psychic cost of this work. Yeah. Because we're dealing with, especially in your consultancy work, when we're dealing with topics around diversity, race, misogyny, social justice, and with everything happening right now, um, how do you manage the toll that takes? Uh, And I mean, 
is there is there an effective way to manage it or do you just have to just give yourself space and time you know you have to give yourself space and time and i think that's the effective way to manage it you know if i need to cry i'm gonna cry sometimes i don't Mm want to cry in front of people but sometimes it's like you know what it. Excuse my French, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, I have to, I, I just, it, it has to happen because I'm mm. not sure where else it'll go if I don't let it come out the way it needs to come out. Gotcha. And so again, that walking is deep meditation, man. I mm. have walked and this is for people who know the area. I, li- I live in DC. I've walked from Northwest DC to Tacoma Park, Maryland. I don't even know how many miles or kilometers. I don't know how far <laughs> that is. Um, I but it's it took it took about two and a half three hours, mm. something like that. Two and a half, and 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 it may be four hours total. Actually, that's round trip, and that was because I needed some air. <laughs> mm. I needed that. Matter of fact, when I was uh, at Otis. I um, started walking to school. Now, I, I know how many miles that was. That was five miles. I'm sorry. I do not know how many kilometers that is. But it was five <laughs> miles. I know this U.S. is ridiculous. Um, five miles each day I walked to school. That for me was just, it was so good. Because not only was I able to relax I was able to see the people who lived in these different neighborhoods and, and see their faces and then, and then get to know these people, not even talking to them, saying hi, but get to know, okay, this person is going to be coming around the corner right now, mm-hmm. or this person is going to have her two kids with her right now. Okay, this intersection, you know, it's going to be like mad cars at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was, it became, it was like the word rote. It was rote. Mm. Um, because, and, and that in itself is meditation. Mm. Now with the works, you know, like, uh, one of my works called in memoriam. Um, I know that people is memoriam, but I choose to say memoriam. So in memoriam, I'm wearing a dress with the faces of black women and girls who were murdered in South Los Angeles between 1982 and 2010. That was hard. Mm. That was very hard because I'm using my body to show these women. So that when you look at me, when you look at me, you see them. And not Mm. all of them have names. The majority of them don't have names. The majority of them have numbers under their pictures. So I want you to think about that. So wearing Mm. that on my body was hard. It was heavy. And once I was done with that performance, I had to sit. I had to sit and be quiet for a while. I had to be Mm. quiet. I cried. I was quiet. People hugged me. It was, I had to give myself that time. Also, because I deal with a lot of work that, you know, uh, you know, dealing in politics and and, and social justice and, and culture Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And I'm watching news a lot. Sometimes I just got to turn the news off. Mm. You know, like I was like, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, this trial is going on. Um, uh, the George Floyd murder trial, mm-hmm. and 
I just I, I can't watch it. Yesterday, you know, I, I looked at a bit of it and I just started crying. You know, and so today I was like, you know what? I can't watch this because for me, it's, it's necessary to take myself away from seeing it again mm-hmm. on screen because I don't have to see it again on screen. I know what happened. Mm-hmm. So it's different forms of, 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 of rejuvenation and, and management. And, and another way of managing, managing is um, I remember one thing that I really enjoyed doing and I haven't done it in a while and haven't been able to do anything really within the last year and a half because of the pandemic, but it's going to hot springs and soaking in hot springs. When I was in California, we would go to Ojai and we would ride up the mountain, hike down the mountain and get into hot springs, me and my girlfriends. And we would just soak there for hours and these sulfur hot springs. It was wonderful. Wow. You know, giving us just and it, and it was it's free. It's not free anymore. You know what I mean? They like charge people oh. now. And I'm like, come oh. on, y'all. Really? That's crazy. Oh. It's crazy. Come on, man. But people were <laughs> acting crazy, too, because they they weren't maintaining like, you know, they weren't valuing and honoring the earth as they should gotcha. have. So someone had to come up and be the steward of mm. those spaces. But when we were going, it was free and we would honor. You know what I mean? We would not leave anything there and we would just relax and watch the sunrise. Sometimes I go to Rock Creek Park in, in D.C. and I stand at, at the mouth of or on the edge of the creek and listen to the water. So it's a lot of different ways to manage because, you know, living is heavy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> doing this work yeah. is heavy, especially when you're thinking about it all the time when you're doing and creating, mm. you know, because it's coming through you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really powerful. Oh, thank you so much for, for the session. It has been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's been fantastic. I, I've totally enjoyed this conversation. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm going to wrap up on one last question. Um, if you went back in time and saw your younger self, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself and why? So you can, it can be at any point, it can be kind of young adulthood, it could be college, but what, what would you say and why? Well, the first thing that's coming to my mind is love and value yourself, Janet. Mm. Love and value yourself. Love and value yourself and make that your affirmation. And I say that because I did not love myself for a very long time for many different reasons. And I know that it had a negative impact on me. And although it shaped me into the woman I am today, I think that little girl needed to understand her value and her beauty and she didn't. And I think that's where it all starts. The internal love of self and the internal understanding of your value. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That's just amazing. Um, My heartfelt thanks to Janet for joining me today. It has been my absolute pleasure researching and experiencing her work and i urge anyone listening or watching to do the same 
uh, please go visit JanetEDandridge.com and follow her on Instagram at JanetEDandridge. All these notes and all the links will be in the show notes as well. Um, you can find more episodes of the show at Bunbury.co forward slash podcast. That's B-U-N-B-U-R-Y dot C-O forward slash podcast. Um, my thanks to Janet again. And please thank join you. me next time for more Design for the People. Janet, thank you. You've been listening to Design for the People with Greg Bunbury.